Um, most of you all, unless you have been visiting with us recently, uh, know who uh, Rick is. Rick is just a, a wonderful leader in this church. He is a he is a minister in this church, even though he's not technically on staff here. Uh, he, he blesses and ministers to many, many people in this church um, day in and day out. And Rick's the kind of guy that I can always call on to help with something or if I need to be lifted up, and he always will be there. And Rick is also full of joy. I talked a couple weeks ago about how I needed some joy and how joy is contagious, and we can share that with one another. Rick shares joy with me, and when I'm around Rick, I leave feeling a lot better. Um, I'm excited uh, for Rick to share a word with you all this morning. Um, I, ha- I haven't said this yet, but I, every year I always like to say this because it's just true. This is going to be a hard year, all right? Um, maybe harder than last year, which is hard to imagine. Um, but we are going to have a hard year. And, and I know that, that we can get through it, though, if we cling to God and we cling to one another. And I'm excited to hear what Rick has to share with us this morning. So I'm going to turn it over to Rick. And uh, more power to you, brother. Good morning. You know, God is good. And all the time, amen. Thank you all for that. Uh, This morning, um, I'm going to start with a quote of one of my preacher friends. I don't often do that, but this morning I think it's a good thing. And this preacher friend of mine said this, I could preach at you, but I think singing is a lot more fun and celebratory. Does anyone know who that preacher friend may be that said those words? If you were here last week, my dear friend Christina shared those words. And I thought, that's so great, because I'm coming this morning to preach at you. So it will not be fun, nor will it be celebratory, (laughs) but that's okay. That's okay. In all honesty, she did, they did a great job last week leading the service through song and through scripture. And I want to tell you one thing, if I came up here and sang, it would not be fun, nor would it be celebratory. So you should be thankful for that. In all honesty, Christina said another thing last week that I want to talk about right off the bat. She spoke about liturgy, and she had a definition for liturgy. She said it's the work of the people, not just sitting there receiving worship, but are you participating? You're doing the work. And I want to let you know that right off the bat, you all have already participated. And that was during the time of praise and worship. And I want to thank Laban because Laban goes out of his way to help me with songs that I would like to have sung before I preach. And you're going to find with me I'm all about kind of a consistent message. And that's through the songs and through the word and through what we do. This was a unique time for me to preach. And the reason it was unique is because John reached out to me on October 27th of last year. He reached out and he gave me the scripture and he said, I want you to preach on this. And what I want to tell you is that's different for me because I'm I'm basically a fill-in pastor. I get the word on like the Monday before the following Sunday that I need to go somewhere and preach. And I always ask, is there anything you'd like me to preach about? And they said, no, please, just do whatever you want to do. So this was actually very exciting to me, something that I'm not used to. So what I did is on October the 27th, I sat down and I read the scripture. And then I prayed this prayer. I said, God, I'm not going to come in with any preconceived notions. I want you from October 27th to January, reveal your message to me. 
And I'm not very good at staying with my word, so I kind of worked through a couple things. And I really heard God saying, just wait. Just wait. And it came. Like it always did, but it has no semblance to what I thought I would be preaching this morning. Because see, this morning I'm going to be preaching on the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3, 13 through 17. You may have heard someone go at it this way, or you may not. But this is a different way for me to look at this scripture. And that's the thing I love about God. Is I can read the same scripture over and over again, and he opens my eyes to different parts of it. We had a kind of a study your Bible, get to know your Bible class last year here. And what we talked about is you read scriptures, it's good to have context. So this morning what I want to do is I want us to give us a little context before we get into the scripture itself. And I'm going to be reading from Matthew 3, 1 through 6. And it says this, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare a way. Make straight the path for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins and were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Verse 11 says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry you, to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So let me explain a little bit about this. He's identified in the first verse. This is John the Baptist. What he's talking about is in Isaiah 43, it talked about this one in the wilderness making path straight. That is John. For those of you who also remember in Luke 1, 4, John is in his mother Elizabeth's womb when Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes in. And at her voice, he leaps. This is the John that we're talking about. He is out in the wilderness. I think it's interesting they tell us what his clothes were. And let's be honest, these are not clothes that would draw a huge crowd today. They were made of camel's hair. And he had a, a, a leather belt around his waste but he had huge crowds coming to him he was baptizing them in the Jordan River but then he talks about the one that will be coming the one that will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire with that background let's go into today's scripture it says then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So let's set the scene. What I see is I see three distinct characters in this scripture. I see John. I see Jesus. And then I see one that's not mentioned directly, but there had to be a crowd. 
because crowds always came to John. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at all three of these characters of this story and see what we can take away from their unique experience. So John is the first one. Notice the thing about John is he knows who he is, but he also knows who he's not. Let me explain. We heard earlier John said, I am preparing the way, but one will come after me. John was not the one, but he was telling others about this one. John has a job to do, and he accepted that responsibility. But notice what happens when Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up, John feels unworthy to do the task he's called to. Friends, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever felt unworthy to do something that you know God is leading you to do? I know I have. Have you ever had these thoughts come into your mind? So-and-so is much more qualified to do this than I am. Or have you even thought to yourself, if these people really knew me and knew who I was, they would never ask me to do this. Those were the feelings that John had. But notice what Jesus says to him. Let it be so now it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus knows exactly who John is. And he knows that John is the one that is called to perform this task. And John consented, and he does that. Let me ask you a couple more questions. Have you ever considered that the reason you are where you are in this life at this time is because God needs you there right then? Have you ever considered that you are the perfect person to do the task that God has told you? Let me explain it to you in a way I could understand. I was in youth ministry like John. I was in youth ministry for many, many years. And I learned very quickly that when a youth asked me a question, they weren't interested in me referring them to someone else to answer the question. They wanted to know what I thought. This was brought to me clearly in a way that I'll never forget because I struggle with this mightily. God, I don't think I have the answers. But at our old church, when I was the interim youth minister, we went to a beach camp uh, in Panama City. And it was called Laguna Beach Resort, and there was nothing resorty about it. But it was cheap, and we could go there. And so what would happen was every night, of course, we had a boys' dorm and a girls' dorm. I was staying in the boys' dorm because Stephanie and my kids were in another area. And the only way I found I could get them to go to bed was I told the boys, last one in bed, I kiss goodnight. <laughs> As you can imagine, when it was time to go to bed, they were all in bed. So I would walk around looking for any stragglers. I never got to kiss one kid goodnight. But something happened in one of the rooms that shocked me. I walked in to the seniors in high school. The senior boys were all in their beds sitting there. And it was different because before they were sitting in their beds where they should have been, but they were moving, they were, you know, constantly in motion. And I could tell something was different this time. And one of them looked at me and he said, Rick, we want to ask you a question. Now, when seniors in high school tell you that, you're not sure what direction this question may go. So I said, well, 
ask away. And they said, we are scared. And I said, what, what are you afraid of? And they said, well, let's say that Billy Graham dies tonight. And one of us or all of us die tonight. And we end up at heaven, heaven's gate at the same time. How in the world are we going to get into heaven? Now, my first thought was, that's a great theological question. Let's, let's talk about that some other time. But then it, it hit me. I had the answer that they wanted to, that I don't know if they wanted to hear or not, but I had the answer. They had asked me the question. The answer to that question, in my mind, is Billy Graham will get to heaven's gate, or he got to heaven's gate, and he's going to say, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be here. And Jesus is going to speak up and say, but he's mine enter. And when one of you boys get to heaven, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to say, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be here. And Jesus will speak up for you too. You see, I thought we had this touching moment. And right as I ended saying that, a pillow came and hit me right in the face. I guess they got the answer they wanted. But we had to talk about it. You see, we all feel inadequate as John did. But John did consent, and Jesus was baptized. But we need to know, like John, who we are. But more importantly, we need to know whose we are. You see, Jesus will never ask us to do anything without his presence, without his Holy Spirit being there with us. We have to be opened to Jesus' calling May we all follow and lead just as John did and say yes to Jesus, no matter how inadequate we feel. And let me tell you one important reason, and I struggle with this a lot. I, or you, may be the only Jesus they ever see. How do you deal with that? You live like Jesus. You love like Jesus. Now let's move to the second character, and that's Jesus. Last week, Christina talked about different feasts that they celebrated, and one was the Feast of the Holy Innocents. And I had never heard that term, honestly. And she talked about that was the feast that celebrated or remembered when King Herod laid down the decree that all baby boys under two would be killed. A terrible, terrible thing. But she talked also about how Joseph had a dream, and in that dream, he took Mary and Jesus to Egypt until Herod died. Now, the interesting thing about Jesus' story is, in Matthew, we hear about them coming back, but that's the last we hear of Jesus until this day. Now, Luke, in chapter uh, 2, tells the story about Jesus being 12 years old and in the temple, and how he stays there. But again, that's all we hear about Jesus. But let's go back to Scripture. It says, Jesus specifically came to be baptized by John. And I love Jesus' reply to John, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this and fulfill all righteousness. The important phrase I want you to look at right there is for us to do this. See, friends, Jesus wants us to have a part in all that he does. Jesus wants us to have a part in all that he does. Could Jesus have been baptized by someone else? Of course. But that was John's 
job. Could Jesus do his work without Embrace Church, without each and every one of you? Yes, he can, but that's not his plan. His plan is to work with us. You see, Jesus wants us to be right there in the middle with him. You know, I, I, uh, music speaks to me mightily. And Todd Agnew has this song that's called My Jesus. And these words of this song get to me every time I heard it. He says, my Jesus would never be accepted in my church because blood and dirt on his feet might stain the carpet. And I think that's a true statement. Blood and feet might stain the, blood on his feet might stain the carpet. So, Jesus, you're not welcomed here. You see, Jesus wants us to love others like he loves others. He wants us to relate to others in a way that maybe only we can relate to them. I preached a whole sermon on this one Sunday. And it's talking about someone with a limp or a scar. And let me explain what I mean by that. You see, we all go through life and things happen to us. And as a result of that, we might have a little limp or we might have a little scar. And I'm not talking about, it could be physical, but I'm also just talking about circumstances in life leave you with that. You see, Jesus wants to use your limp or your scar so someone else can relate to you, so they can relate to Jesus. Because, you know, there's many people that say, I can't understand what you're going through. But I know one that has. And that's the important thing with Jesus. He wants to use us to love others. And I think one of the most important things I've learned from this church is that Jesus wants us to stand up for those who think they don't have a voice. That's what Jesus wants us to do. I've said this often, I say this every time I preach, and I'll continue. Monday night's here, the gathering here is the closest thing I think I'll ever see to heaven. Because we have a group of people that honestly in any other situation would not be together. But every Monday night, we're together. Some of those voices, people don't think they have a voice to be heard. But we give them that voice. They are heard. And Jesus wants us to be an integral part of that. And you know why I want you to join him? Because he wants you to be there with him. Now is the time. Now let's move to the last part of the scripture. Verse 17 says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Do you think there's a reason that God wanted to say this at that moment? Well, do you remember what happens to Jesus immediately after this? In Matthew 4, 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Do you think maybe Jesus needed to be reassured before he faced the temptation? Do you think he needed to hear that his Father was pleased with him? So that was something he could rely on and go back to with all he was facing. I do. I think that's why God did that. He needed to know that his father was proud of him. I had back surgery back in 2011. And the week before the surgery, I took each of my children out to lunch. And sadly, I wish I could say I do this all the time, but I hadn't done it much. 
But on that day, I told every, all my children two things. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Because you see, I didn't know how the surgery would go. And at that time, I had that moment to do that. We all need to hear that someone loves us and that someone is proud of us. And if you haven't heard that yet, he does love you and he is proud of you. But I think there's another reason that God said this. And I'm going to freely admit that there is a debate on how many people heard what God said to Jesus. There are some people that will tell you only Jesus heard it. There are some people that tell you he didn't hear it audibly, he heard it in his heart. There are other people that will tell you John and Jesus heard it. And then there's a third group of people, which I'm part of, that thinks everyone heard it. Now, one reason I think that everyone heard it was Matthew, Mark, and Luke all almost used the exact same words for this event. So someone had to hear it to pass that on. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the crowd. But this morning, friends, what I want you to know also is it doesn't matter who heard it back then. You're part of the crowd. You're hearing these words now. Now, remember in verse 5, it says, People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Large crowds of people were there. For sure, they, they witnessed the baptism of Jesus, whether they heard these words or not. But I think these words were for them, and they are for us. You see, this solidifies who Jesus is. This is my son whom I love, and whom I well pleased. This is where my message gets changed because of what God spoke to me. This is part of my message that some people may not like. This is part of my message that some people may agree with, may disagree with, and they may tell me I'm wrong. But I think... I know that this is what God said to me. No surprise that we live in a very judgmental world today. Some of the harshest comments, the harshest judgment come from Christians. They come from churches who like to be the ultimate judge and jury. They like to lift themselves up while tearing others down. They love to look down their noses at those that are different than them. They love to spout off a list of all the people that God hates. Friends, let me share something important with you today. We are all God's children. Every last one of us was created in his image. It's really interesting how God moves through different things. About two weeks ago, I was writing my sermons on Tuesday night. About two weeks ago, Stephanie and I were driving somewhere. I'm not sure where we were going. And she said, Rick, listen to the title of this article. And the title of this article says, Does God Hate Those Who? And before she could finish, I said, There is no need to finish because I know the answer. And the answer is no. He does not hate those who whatever. So many people 
have been told that God can't love them because of whatever it is. And my mother would not be very happy with me, but excuse me, but that is absolute garbage. Absolute garbage. Jesus does not hate. You see, no matter what you've been told, no matter what you've done, no matter who says you are hated, you need to hear the same words that Jesus heard. Jesus would say, these are my children whom I love. And if you didn't hear that, these are my children whom I love. Friends, if you hear nothing else today, nothing else today, God is deeply in love with you. Not only does he say it, proves it. God loves you. Now I know I've sat out in a crowd like you and a pastor has said something and in my mind I thought that's a, that's a good thing to say. But I'm not sure I believe it. So this is where your work starts today in this message. To some of you this is going to be really, really weird and really, really strange. But I want you to at least flatter me and do what I'm going to ask. For you online people, you can do the same exact thing just in the comments. So your first job is I want you to turn to a friend around you and tell them you are a child of God now. Okay, it's not enough for one friend. Tell someone else you are a child of God. See, look at that. It brought laughter. It brought joy. I saw fist bumps. That's awesome. You are a child of God. But you know, sometimes it's easy to say those words. Now this is where the rubber hits the road. This is the hard part. Turn to a neighbor and say, I am a child Now turn to another neighbor and tell them the same thing. It's good. Thank you all. You see, the first part was a little bit louder. You're, you are a child of God. I'm telling you that. But the second, the second part of it is a little bit softer. I'm a child of God? You see, the first and second need to be just as loud. Because you see, you are a child of the Most High God. Because you are here, because you're in this world, you're not a child of God because you're at church. It has nothing to do with it. You're a child of God from Saturday or from Monday to Saturday as much more than you are Sunday. And because you're a child of God, you've been given a job to do. But you see, you first have to believe it. You first have to know that I am a child of God. Some of you are sitting there thinking, okay, I am a child of God, but I've really messed up. You know what? It doesn't matter. You're still a child of God. Some of you have been told, because you do blank, you're not a child of God. I'm here to call that out. That's a lie. You are a child of God. You always have been, and you always will be. 
Again, if you hear nothing else, this world needs to hear this message. We've been told by church leaders that those people, you need to hate them. No, you don't. You need to see them. One of the proudest moments I've ever had in this church is I walked up the church one Sunday, and there was a homeless gentleman who some of you all know, I don't know him, but he was asleep on the steps. And you know what we did? We let him sleep. Now, at my ch- old church, and I'm, I was part of this, we had a public service committee. Now, what that was is, Rob, you know, you took care of situations like that. The homeless weren't welcome. There were places they could be. You know, I want to tell you one more story, and it goes along with that. And I apologize, sometimes I tell the same story. Stephanie tells me that a lot, but sometimes there's just a time to do it. And it reminds me of a story I heard about a homeless man who was sitting in the back of the church, and everyone was uncomfortable. And right as the pastor started to preach, the homeless man started walking down the aisle. And everyone froze. What would happen? And he got to right about here and he sat down. No one knew what to do. People there thought, oh, one of the, if you're, depending on what denomination you are, a deacon, an elder, someone will come and take care of that. And sure enough, the chairman stood up. And he walked up. And he leaned over and whispered something. And he sat down with him. And there they stayed the entire service. Because you see, that person understood this is a child of God. You are a child of God. You are loved. Even when you mess up, you're still a child of God. So now we're going to take the work from this morning. And we're going to go from there. You have four jobs to do this week. The first one this morning is receive it. The second one is believe it. The third one is live it. And the last one is go out from this place and share it with everyone you see. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.